Hey, good morning. How you doing? Welcome home. Happy spring break to you. Uh, yeah, if we could do that. You know, I know the dark is a little slimming, but it's, it's not good. I can't read my notes. Um, children, you may be dismissed for Children's Church. That's upstairs or downstairs, but this is the last time you're going downstairs. There's an announcement connected to that. Thank you, Cresia. Um, next week, we move to two age groups with uh, Children's Church, and they will both be upstairs starting next week, but not this week. Not this week. All youth ministry meetings and stuff is uh, on hold, canceled for this week because of spring break. It is spring break when the college and the community reenact the book of Exodus. Um, And so we are so glad you're here. We are small, but we are mighty. I want to thank um, Ryan Johnson back there for filling in and giving a great message last week in my absence. And you know, Ryan, Ryan goes from youth to preaching, to managing life groups and thumping the bass. That is like pastoral studliness, man. Thank you. God bless you. I also want to thank uh, Eric Williams. Thank you very much for filling in for our uh, worship and administrative pastor, Ryan McBride, who was off with his family on a great uh, vacation, well-deserved. want to give a little shout-out to anybody who is traveling. If you're listening to the podcast, um, we want you home. We want you blessed. We want you safe. We love you. We miss you. Have a great time. No need to bring back souvenirs, just candy. Okay, um, some, a couple other announcements on our resource tables as you leave. Uh, this one is over to the left. This is Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry um, to anybody who is, has the tail wagging the dog in their life with some sort of addiction whether that be alcohol or drugs or, or sex or porn or whatever that is, um, pick up one of these. And this is a, a, a description of what's going to happen. Uh, they're kicking off with a dinner on Monday, March 28th. Um, and so these materials are out on the table to the left. Take one if, uh, if you're interested. There are also some booklets and a Celebrate Recovery Bible that you can order. There's an order form out there. Also on the resource table in the center, our gospel experiment, supplemental materials, reading plan. I highly recommend it if you haven't been with us and haven't been going through this. It's had a remarkable effect. We've had nine people come to Christ in the last five weeks. We're praising God for that. Um, And it's rejuvenating, reviving a lot of people. So here are some resources for you. Great. we did that. I have a, an introduction. I have some family in town. Um, Cherie's brother and his family, that's Craig right there. He's a brother-in-law that I would choose as a friend, and that's a rare thing and a blessing for me. And next to him is Max. Max, we love you. Like me, Craig married above himself. It is great. Um, I highly recommend it. Then we have Connor, their son, who is being hailed as the king of Crested Butte Mountain, I understand. And then uh, Emily uh, in the middle. Emily just got accepted the other day to an elite uh, high school in the Dallas area, Ursuline. So we're in the presence of celebrities and loved ones. Thank you. Glad you're here. All right. If you have a Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 3. We'll get started. Great. Um, This is week six of the gospel experiment. And we're in Colossians chapter 3 looking at, talking about gospel community. Gospel community. Um, And in short, it means that in following Jesus, 
We're better together. We're better together. So we're going to dive in. I would say that we're going to take a look at us and, and, and everyone in the community. I would say that the majority of people in the community and even people at the college, students, would describe themselves as Christian. However, the reality is that 90% of those people, 90% of our community is unchurched, which means that nine out of every 10 people do not have a family of faith, a, a church or body of believers that they regularly connect with. And, and why, what is the reason for this? And I think as I, as I thought about this, that it struck me that one of the things that I hear over and over again as I talk to people about their faith, about Jesus, about the church, I hear this, and, and I'm sure you've heard it too. I don't need the church to have a relationship with Jesus. And there's only one problem with that. The Bible. Um, there is no biblical context for thriving faith in Jesus Christ apart from the body of Christ, apart from regular and intense and loving and wonderful fellowship with believers. Here's maybe the more troubling part. Of the people who go to church regularly, of the Christian community that does engage in, in church, I believe that most of us believe that that myth is true. They say, I really don't need the church. I really don't need other believers to have a relationship with Jesus. See, most Christians view gospel community connecting deeply with one another in the faith um, is optional. If you want to do it, great, but if you don't, that's okay too. You know, it's optional. Like having a valid driver's license before you get behind the wheel. Optional. Paying your taxes. No, it's not like, it's not optional like that. It's essential. It's essential. And I believe I know where this comes from because we so emphasize the need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. The need to personally come to him, come to the cross in our hearts broken and say, I can't do this. I, like everyone else and everything else, is broken and only you can put me together again. Only, only you can set me free from my habits and my sins and my, my attitudes and, and the things that are keeping me from living life now and forever. The need for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we've hit that so hard as we should that I think we've done a disservice to the people to not hit as equally hard that Jesus doesn't just call us to him in that he's calling us to each other in a life-giving, thriving, wonderful way. The, the Bible, the entire Bible, is the story of God calling a people, calling a family, calling a posse, if you will. Not a bunch of converted, isolated, independent, separated believers. He's calling a people to himself. And so for us to understand that, engage in that, what if, what if we were created by Jesus to live a life very different than the life we currently lead, to live a faith currently uh, th that's different than, than we currently engage in? What if Jesus is trying to reveal himself to us in a depth and in a way 
that we're unintentionally resistant to? What if Jesus could change our hearts to help us have a hunger for that fellowship, for that gospel community that would so transform our lives, that would so transform our ability to see the nearness and the reality and the power of Christ in our lives through each other? What if he could change all that for us this morning by changing our minds, changing our hearts? Those are the questions that we're going to try to answer. That's what we're looking at. Let's go. Colossians chapter 3. If you have a Bible or a program on your phone, um, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you'd like to use one, look under the seat in front of you. If you don't own one, that's yours free. Keep it. Read it. Love it. It will, um, it will read you, and, and it's great. Um, we're going to pick it up in verse 9, and we're going to read through it, and then we'll go back and unpack it. Here we go. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew and Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we're talking about gospel community. And, and what I want to do is take a look at verses 9 and 10. It is calling us to a changed life. Verses 9 and 10 call us to a changed life, to allow Jesus to change our lives as we might change our clothes, but at a much deeper, more important root level. He wants to change our lives, change our hearts, like we might change our clothes. Now, if you have ever been a young person or a middle schooler, my apologies to you if, you're, if you fall in that category right now, or if you've ever been the parent of somebody in this age group, you know that children, boys and girls both, are prone to sort of boycott bathing and, and, and not want to change their clothes for days or weeks. If you've not been a child like this, you need to fall on your knees and thank God. But you know, you know this if you're a parent, and, and you know that the stench of death can come upon these children in the midst of this. Our son is about to graduate from college, but when he was in middle school, our basement, where his bedroom is, the whole basement, smelled like a combination of sauerkraut and sweat socks. And now, you know, when he comes home, it smells like Axe body spray or something that's supposed to make women love him. Quincy, our daughter, very similarly, when she was young, got to a point where she didn't like water or soap or changing her clothes. And she was shopping at Walmart with our friend Donna. She looked up at Donna and she said, Donna, 
Did you ever not take a bath for so long that you started to itch? She said, no, sweetie, it's time. And it's time for some of us. It's time for some of us because we're starting in our hearts to itch and take on that sense, that stench of death, you know? And he's saying, put off the old self. Put on the new self. It's time for a change. How do we, this brings up a lot of questions. How do we do that? How do we take off the old self? Where do we put the old self after we take it off? How do we not walk around naked in between the time that we take off the old self and put on the new self? Where do we go to buy this new self? Where do we get it? What do we do? Here it is. When the Bible is talking here about self, It's talking about our hearts. God is saying, what you need, what you need to let me do for you is to give you a heart transplant. It's not new bodies. It's not new clothes that you and I need. It's new hearts. And and that's what he's asking us to do. Take out the old heart. Put in the new heart. Only I can do that. Let me do that. And this is the core of the gospel. God created us, we see in Genesis holy and perfect and good with hearts that are consumed with loving him and loving each other. But then our first parents sin and sin enters the world that has infected everything and everybody ever since then. And what sin does is it shatters. It, it shatters and, 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 and puts wedges and, and caverns between relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with each other. So we no longer have this pure and perfect heart that is consumed with love for God and love for other people. It's been replaced with, with bitter, backbiting, kind of dark, negative hearts that really love people selectively. Primarily those that we're called to love, we find it easy to love. Those who, if we love them, can benefit our lives. You know what I'm saying? And, and as far as God goes, um, we tend to, in our old hearts, love God's blessings, love God's stuff, rather than love God and start to put things in, in front of him. So what he's saying is you need a heart transplant. So Jesus comes as God in the flesh and has that perfect and holy loving heart that we were meant to have, that we should have had. And he lives with this heart that is perfect and beautiful and loving as we should have lived. And he dies the death on the cross that we should have died, that we deserve because our hearts are wrong. And, and the Bible says that, you know, sin leads to death. And, and so he experienced that. He did that. He took our old hearts and he took them to the cross and he put them to death there. He crucified our old hearts on the cross. And because he is a heart donor, you can't be a heart donor without dying. And so he died. But the good news is that on Easter morning, which we're getting ready to celebrate, he rose again to new life. And so he calls to us. He pleads with each one of us, come, come, bring your old heart with it. I put to death. Let me put my heart within you. And I will then live inside you, do a heart transplant. And only in that can you walk into the freedom and fullness and forgiveness and joy and hope of life that I've created you to have. Let me do that heart transplant. So if you're a Christian or you become one today, in your chest, in a sense, the heart that is beating is not your own, it is Christ's. And and the life that you live is not you living it, it is Christ living through you. That is a wonderful mystery of the gospel. And so that is what we're talking about here. Because of that transformation and that transplant. Now, that 
kind of gives us a new view of sin because everything that is sinful is leading us away from what his heart is calling to lead us into, which is love and joy and peace, forgiveness, freedom, and glory. Right? It's fighting against Christ. It's fighting against that. So we don't want to do that. We want that. And we see in verse 10, it says, it is being renewed. So those of us who have a minute, a moment, we point back to, yes, I came to Christ. I was an unbeliever, now I'm a believer. I was not a follower, I'm a follower. I was a non-Christian, now I'm a Christian. You gotta keep coming back because it is being renewed. He's continuing to renew our hearts day by day as he sanctifies us and makes us into his image. That's what we're talking about. It's being renewed. It's an ongoing process of turning us into the image of Jesus. I want us to look at the beginning of verse nine. I want to see in the very beginning that we see that this new life, this new heart, this new self is a one another life. It says do not lie to one another. It is a one another life. It has to do with relating to one another. It's so critical. That's gospel community. And it's saying don't, in fact, look at one another. If you go through the New Testament, you'll find about 92 times, in the ESV anyway, that one another is unpacked for us. Love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. It's all about Jesus and one another. They don't, they're not separate. If the way that we love Christ doesn't change how we relate to one another, then we have to really wonder what our relationship with Christ is. So, so here it's, it's, it's very important. It says do not lie to one another. It's about being real and authentic with one another as Jesus is changing us into himself. That is gospel community. And part of Jesus changing us into himself, part of that heart transplant, is not just changing us from people who have a heart that is far from God to a heart that is transformed by God. It is also taking us as people who want to live life at an arm's length from each other as fellow believers into one that hungers and thirsts and craves gospel community. And so that is a transformation that I'm I'm convinced that so few in the church have, and I know I need to be fully transformed even more into wanting and experiencing and enjoying and hungering and thirsting for gospel community because in that, Christ reveals himself even more fully. That's much more than simply reading our Bible and praying alone or coming to church or going to a Bible study together. It's much more than that. But that's where a lot of Christians tend to stop. So I want together for us to not stop there. Verse 11, quickly, what is the gospel community of this life that is deeply committed to Jesus and each other look like? Verse 11, here there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. We're talking about believers here, followers of Jesus Christ. Christ is all and in all. What does this mean? In a nutshell, it means that in Christ, when we follow Christ, when he transforms our heart, it removes, it obliterates, it blows apart every barrier to relationship that we would have with any type of person, especially those types of people that society and tradition say, don't go together. Don't go together. And he gives us a lot of examples, but what does this mean for us? We're not going around asking if one another is circumcised or barbarian or Scythian, you know. We're not. 
So what does that mean? That means the richest of the rich are BFFs with the people who are collecting food stamps just to survive. It means that the people who society rejects or marginalizes are loved and loved by those who are popular. And society applauds. Those barriers are blown apart. White collar is friends and loving with blue collar. This is going to come as a shock to our fundamentalist friends, but Democrats and Republicans loving each other in Christ. Christ trumps all. Athletes and spazzes loving each other. You know, it's all, every race, every color, black, white, brown. And the people who are so tatted out, you don't know what color's underneath. You're not really sure. They're loving each other. The old and the young, the conservative, the liberal, in Christ, in Christ, rap, rock, and God bless them, country, get together. And they love one another. Every barrier that society has historically put up is blown apart. And should see that in the church. And they see that and they should say, you know what? I want some of that. I've never seen that. Because Jesus trumps everything. Jesus trumps everything. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you belong to me. I belong to you. Everybody who belongs to Jesus Christ belongs to everybody who belongs to Jesus Christ. We don't just say it. It's calling us to live it. And how do we do that? Gospel community. Gospel community that transcends boundaries. Building deep relationships with each other in Christ as he's making us into his image without regard to what society would normally put together. That's the church. And in doing that, we'll love Jesus more. We'll see him more clearly. We'll be able to experience his nearness, his power. When we can see him and respond to him in each other. It's not just you and me, Jesus. Not just you and me, Jesus. He says, if we, if we don't love our brother who we can see, how do we love God who we can't see? That's his words, not mine. We've got to see that Jesus, we've got to see Jesus in his people. We have to know Jesus in his people. We have to love Jesus in his people because Jesus speaks to his people through his people. Jesus loves his people through his people. Jesus reveals himself to his people through his people. Jesus protects and provides for his people through his people. Jesus hugs, touches, holds, blesses, comforts, exalts his people through his people. I can't tell you how many people come to my office and they are on the edge. Maybe they're suicidal. Maybe they're cutting. Maybe they're ready for divorce. It doesn't matter. But 95%, I would say it's even beyond that, who come with these life and heart-shattering difficulties, describe themselves as feeling disconnected, marginalized, alone, and unloved. And in their hearts, they're crying out to Christ, Jesus, why have you left me alone? And I can almost hear the Savior crying out back to them, I haven't left you alone. I have given you my people so that you can see and experience the reality, not just from me, not just from my word, not just through my spirit, but my presence in other people. This is something we need to wrap our minds around. And it's very deep that every Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, we like to go to John, right? And we like to read that 
awesomely powerful passage that says, and the word became flesh. Jesus, God, the creator God, became flesh. It was born and dwells among us. And we think, if only I had been there. If only I could have been there to see God incarnate with skin on. And we ought to think that. But as we think that, we should also realize that every time somebody comes to Christ, the word is made flesh and dwells among us. And when we get close to that person, when we look into their eyes, when we pierce their hearts, when we go into gospel relationship with them, we're in relationship with Christ in the flesh. And and it's his body. All of us collectively together, there is so much power. There is so much blessing. And most of us miss out on it because it's just not our way. And we much prefer to, to kind of just do church together and, and keep people at an arm's length. So gospel community goes much beyond that. And you, I can hear some of you might be saying, yeah, but I don't, I don't like most, some of the people in this church. Well, all right. I know you don't. Maybe some of them don't like you. Well, the problem is we tend to have a lot of people that have baggage, that have issues. Like you don't, like I don't. That's perfect. It's perfect because being in relationship in Christian gospel community with broken people requires that we have a heart transplant to be able to love them. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? If you just collected, and some people do this, they'll like hop churches until they find a place where they have people who have the same brokenness and the same um, prejudices and the same baggage that they have that they would choose as friends, and then they're there. But the, the tragedy of that is that it doesn't require that God transform their heart to love them. I mean, anybody can love people that they like. Anybody can love people who are just like them. That doesn't take a supernatural presence of God. What God is calling for is a love between diverse people who have only in common their love for him and their love for each other that the only thing that can explain this incredible love is his powerful presence and his spirit living through them. That's all. That's what we're shooting for. Is that what we have? We've started. We've started. We got, we got a long way to go. So let's walk there together. If you're, if you're in a, so here's the moral of the story. If you don't like everybody in this church, stay. Because in that, Jesus is gonna create his heart in you that's required to love people who are very different from yourself. So then we go, we look at verse 12 to 14. This is what it looks like. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You don't need this for people that you love anyway. But in putting us together with all kinds of different people who love Jesus Christ, he must, we're dependent on him to plant these these things in our hearts so that we can have that love, have that relationship, that that very heart that lives in him. So if, if you're going to a place where it's not a stretch to love people, you might think you won, but 
You're not giving God the opportunity to put his heart in you that could say, you know what? You can't be so difficult that the love of Christ in me can't love you back. You can't quarrel with me or have issues that are so deep that the love of Christ can't transform us and bring us together. That's what he's talking about. How important was this? Um, Okay. We need to... um, we need to back up a little bit. When we love like that is incredibly attractional. Incredibly attractional. You can't be bad enough for me not to love you in Christ. You can't be difficult enough for me not to love you in Christ. Only the love of God can explain that kind of love. People say, I need that. I want that. Maybe there's something to this Jesus. You know? I don't even get that love from my parents. I don't get that love from my spouse. I need that. And maybe you come from a great family. Well, here you've got an even bigger one, an even better one, in a sense, because it's one in which you can experience the love of Christ in a transforming way. We've got to allow Jesus to make us weird. And that's easier for some of you than for others. Um, uncommon, transformed, so that we hunger and thirst for gospel community. Without a heart transplant, that won't happen. Status quo Christianity has never made it happen, and it never will. We, we, we need it to call us out of ourselves to, to a new way of living. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in, say it together with me, one body. Okay, that was three of you. And be thankful... There's so much here, but I want to focus on the one body, the one body that is so meaningful, that is so powerful. And I think most of us see that as optional and don't get it. Um, If we knew that Jesus was going to appear at Mario's, an unlikely place for Jesus, I know. But, no, I love it. But he's going to be there at a specific date and time. How many of us would rearrange our schedules and show up there at that date and time so that we might behold him, so that we might see him, so that we might go close to him and, and, and engage with him and be consumed with the reality of his presence? How many of us? I'd like to say all of us. I'd like to say that wild horses couldn't keep us away. But I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if we as Christians really believe in the body of Christ as something more than just a myth or a pretty word picture. Because if we did, then every time the body got together, we would realize that the image of Christ, the presence of Christ, the power of Christ, the love of Christ is so manifest in this body that wild horses couldn't keep us away. But a powder day, well, that might if we really believed in the body of Christ, we'd worship differently, we'd look differently, we'd behave differently, we'd love differently. If somebody in the body lost their job, we'd engage with that. We would bear that burden as if we had lost our job. 
If somebody in the body is diagnosed with cancer, we would pray as fervently as if we ourselves or our spouse or our child was diagnosed. If somebody um, receives a blessing, has a baby, has, has a promotion, whatever it is, we would rejoice in it just as if we had received that blessing because we're so connected. What happens to one happens to the other. We're connected in such a, a powerful spiritual way. We would love differently. We would love differently and we're starting to. We need to keep on with that. We need to keep on with that. And we'd be careful not to sin. Why? Because we're so fond of saying, well, this is my life, this is your life, this is my, it's not your business. Well, if we're truly one body in Christ, then what you do to one part of the body affects the rest of the body, does it not? When you get a toothache, for me, that's the one thing that affects everything, my moods, my, you know, I just can't ignore like pain in my mouth. I don't know what it is for you. But it affects your whole body. So when I go off my own way and, and use my body or my mind or my love, my relationships, my money for things that offend Christ and hurt others, that hurts you, whether you know it or feel it or not. And when, when you do those things, it hurts me because we're connected. And you can't hurt part of my body without my whole body being affected. We can't hurt part of the body of Christ without the whole thing being affected. And, and us without the body, we're about as effective as my foot would be if you amputated it and put it on a shelf. And thank God, most, most of us don't deal with amputation. So um, how do we... We're about as useful as, as when parts of our body fall asleep. You know, you get the pins and needles, you can't feel anything. When we lived in San Antonio, we had a house um, that, well, it was probably as big as this baptistry. Um, a little bigger, but our, our bedroom was very narrow. In fact, you couldn't put like end tables. You could barely tuck in the comforter on the side of the bed. You couldn't get out on the side of the bed. So... You had to, you couldn't get out, so you had to scooch, you know, to the foot. And then you get up, and, and we had our dresser on the other wall, and an, an alarm clock was on the dresser. It's about, like, face height. So this one night, I had slept, like, with my arms crossed on my stomach. So I'm, like, crushing my arms um, all night. So the alarm goes off, and bang, bang, bang. So I, I scooch to the edge of the bed, and I get up. And I realized I can't move either of my arms. And so I'm trying to turn the alarm clock off with my face, and that's ineffective. So I can't, I'm trying to swing my dead arms on the top, but it's just beating the dresser, you know? And, and only when, when they came back could I turn it off, and then I got feeling back, and I screamed and woke Sheree up because it hurt. It didn't feel it at the time, but, but it hurt. And some of us have been sleeping and our body part has fallen asleep and he's calling us out of ourselves to wake up, to wake up and connect and engage. How important is it to Jesus that we have gospel community? The night before he sacrificed his life on our behalf, he prayed fervently to the Father in the garden. And, and we see in John 17... We see a part of his prayer here. He's praying. He says, I in them, he's talking about us, the people who follow him. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one 
so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Okay, here's the proof. Here's the why. Why do we do this? So the world can see that Jesus is who he said he is. See, because Jesus, who came and died and rose again to bring all things together, restore all things under himself, into himself, if his people are not brought together, then one of two things is true. Either the power of the creator, redeemer, savior, rescuer God is not strong enough to bring his people together, or we're not his people as much as we think we're his people. Which do you think? That they might become perfectly one. That we might become perfectly one. That's what gives him glory. That's what gives us joy. That's what gives us life in him. It's not just a one-on-one. And when we see this, when we see this, I know those of you who hang out in church and have most of your life, you, you see phrases of perfectly one or unity in the body or being one as we are one. And you've probably heard messages about division in the church. Division in the church. We can't have division. We can't have quarrels. We can't have things that fracture us. And that's all true. That's all true. That's all part of unity. But the part that doesn't get the attention that it deserves, I believe, is the enemy of becoming perfectly one is not just disunity. It's disconnection. It's isolation. Self-chosen isolation, independence, being alone. And we're particularly prone to it here. I mean, the Gunnison Valley attracts independent-minded, independent-heart people. We're going to tame the plains. We're going to master the mountains. We're going to do it all. I'm going to move far from my neighbors. I don't need anybody. I have rice and water. And, I, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that unless that becomes... Well, I just described some of you. I love you. There's nothing wrong with that as long as that's not the condition of our hearts to say... I don't need people. I don't need God's people to know God. And God says, yes, you do. Yes, you do. I've wired it that way. I want it that way. Isolation. It makes us weak. Think about if you barbecue, and you barbecue with like charcoal, and you get the whole pile, and it's getting red, and, it's good, and there's always like one briquette that goes off to the side, What's going to happen to that one? Even as these get glowing red hot, ready for me, that one's going to burn out. And we tend to burn out when we're not connected deeply in gospel community. It not only makes us weak, it makes us vulnerable to attack when we separate ourselves from the pack. I'd like you to look at this. If you're squeamish, you may not want to. I'll just narrate it and you close your eyes. This is a cheetah. I want to thank uh, the BCC or... uh, BBC for this. There's a cheetah. He passes one that's on the edge of the pack. Here's another gazelle right on the edge of the pack. He's going to go past that one. That's the last time you're going to see any other members of the pack, which you can't see. was over here. Here's one, the farthest from the pack. It's a baby, and it's vulnerable. See, cheetahs and and animals, um, predators, don't typically go into the middle of the pack and attack. See, in this case, gazelles, uh, many of them have very long and sharp horns. And in a group, they can defend and even, even kill a predator. 
but one that is separated is vulnerable. It's one-on-one, you don't stand a chance. And this is not going to end well, I'm going to tell you. So if you're, if you're squeamish, you might want to stop watching now. But the cheetah has isolated this one. And even with the best running, the best moves, you know, we're rooting for it, aren't we? We become isolated. We not only become weak, we become vulnerable. And it's going to end soon. And it is. It's over. And the same thing that we just saw in the animal kingdom happens to us all the time. We isolate ourselves. And the Bible tells us that our enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he targets those who are separated from the pack. There's strength in gospel community and there's vulnerability when we're not there. It's also painful. Our criminal justice system understands the pain of isolation. In fact, the strictest punishment short of the death penalty is, is often what? Is often what? Solitary confinement, right, isolation, because they understand that we were wired by God for fellowship and deep connection with him and with each other. So as severe as this punishment is, isn't it weird that we inflict this own isolation punishment on ourselves? How many of you, if you look at the pattern of your life, the time when you most need somebody to come alongside you and encourage you and speak truth and life and encouragement into you and healing, it's the very time when you push them away, Right? Gospel community is the answer to that. Gospel community is the answer to that. If you doubt that that's how we are, how many people say, I'm a private person. I just, my, my faith is private and I'm private. Jesus doesn't give us that option. We're to have our faith in community. We're to connect with him and with others in ways that are dangerous but life-giving. Otherwise, we go through life isolated, isolated. And, and that makes us weak, that makes us vulnerable, and it's painful. If you doubt this, look at how we sit in here. Look at how we sit. I have the, um, I have the benefit of, of being here early, and I get to watch. We have three big sections of seating, right? The first person or couple or group of friends that come into the sanctuary will choose a section, they will sit in that section. The second person or group or couple that come in will choose one of the two unoccupied sections to sit in. The third person or group, this will come as no shock to you, that comes in will choose, not choose, they've got by default, they have to sit in the one where nobody is. The fourth person or group that comes in here has a dilemma. Oh goodness, honey. We've blown it now. We have to be interlopers. We have to find a way to sit in an occupied section without getting too close to the other people. Because you don't do that. I want to invite you, if you ever really want to freak some Christians out, come early. Be the second person in the sanctuary. 
look at them, and then make a beeline to them and sit right next to them. No chair in between. It's even best if you've never met them. I can hear some of you say, oh, don't do that. That's not Christian. That's so Christian. Man, we're to be together. That's our life. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we do life together in Christian community? Here we do it in life groups. Life groups. Um, Ryan Johnson is the head of life groups uh, for our church. He coordinates that. And what we do is we do life groups. I want to challenge everybody who is a regular attender, part of this body, to get into a life group. I want 100% of, of Bethany being engaged in life groups. I don't want several life groups out in the community and then we come, you know, here we go together and we worship together and then we go off and some go to life groups, some don't. I want like life groups all over the place and Sunday morning is life groups coming together into one even bigger, more powerful life group and praising God together in community. But experiencing that community throughout the week in life groups, I have to tell you, I didn't do this until maybe six months ago. And it's had a profound impact on my heart and my life and the way that I, I love and am loved by other people. And it's not just a Bible study. I'm not talking about coming together, looking at a text, talking about it, going home. It's, it's the end of this passage. It's verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word is part of it. We do talk about the Bible. We study the Bible teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Okay, we haven't done any singing, but maybe that's coming. I don't know. But we're talking to each other. We're gospeling one another. We're challenging each other to love each other in Christ as, as he loves us, right? We're saying, okay, here's what we believe. Buddy, this situation, this relationship in your life, I don't see that matching up with, with what you say you believe. The way you're treating your wife, the way you're treating your kids, the way you're, the things happening at work. Here's what God's calling us to. Let me come alongside you. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. Let me help you work through this. And by the way, here's something I'm struggling with. Can you, can you handle that? Can you, can you love me through that? Can you encourage me in that? Can you pray for me? We do that. We do that. Whatever you do, whether it's, studying or eating or drinking or playing or I mean we do it all whatever you do you do life together right it's not it starts when the meeting starts it ends with, you do life together you give each other refrigerator rights in your house you give each other we're going to look at this whatever you do when we're to deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him everything everything goes back to the gospel and we help each other do that that's what we do some of the wonderful things that come out of life group that I want to just, God bless somebody, three times. Some of the wonderful things, the incredible things that come out of life group is this. One, it, it, it's a place where you can be known deeply and loved anyway. Known deeply and loved anyway. How many of you have relationships like that? I have relationships like that. I have some, seven couples who know me better than some of my best friends, who know the ugly parts of their friend and their pastor and love me anyway and encourage me to be done with those things, connect to Christ and others in a deeper level. It has been profound. Um, I see Christ 
in ways I have never seen Christ before. I know him in ways I have not known him. I love him in ways I have not loved him because of his presence in other people. Number two, it gives you a relationship where it's not all about you. You have friends like this, right? Like you can have a relationship or conversation with them as long as it's all about them. Life group, it's all about Jesus. It's all about each other. Got to connect, got to grow, got to break out of that. It gives people permission to speak into your life on a deep soul level. And we all need that. Spiritual encouragement that most of us are starving for, it's there. Not just during meeting time, all the time, it's there. People speak into your life on a deep soul level. It helps us sand off the rough edges. I'm about to close. Kids are getting, getting crazy. Um, helps us sand off the rough edges of our hearts, relationships, attitudes, anxieties, marriages, finances, dating relationships, everything. Someone to call you on your garbage. Have you given anybody spiritual permission to, to call you on your garbage? Life group. Life group, man. Call it out in love. Be ready because I'm going to call you out too. No, it's love and the calling out. You know, gospel community keeps us from veering off the tracks. And we need that because when we're alone, we veer off the tracks. If you doubt this, look at middle-aged men, how they dress if they're not married. It is frightening, right? Some of them, you know who I'm talking about. Why is this? Because they are not married. They don't have to walk in front of their wife to say, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. You are not walking out the door dressed like that. Upstairs, back in the closet. That is a reflection on me. That is a reflection on our family name. It is a reflection on our home. Get up there. Those plaid flannel, drawstring pajama pants that are gray and black. They don't go with the black dress shoes. I'm sorry. Back upstairs. Spiritually, we need people like that in our lives. That doesn't fly. I love you, but that doesn't fly. It's a reflection on you. It's a reflection on Christ. It's a reflection on our family. Let's go back up to the closet. Get that fixed. It's not what we wear on the outside. It's our hearts. It's all about hard work. Do that with each other, to each other. I want you to visit the resource table right You almost have to hurdle it to get out. There are about six piles of these cards. Um, Ryan, Ryan and Ryan um, had these put together. They're life group description cards. They describe the existing life groups in the church. Take one. Call the number. Get the information. Go out of your comfort zone. Engage. There's one that you can pick up that says, maybe you don't know of a life group, but you want to start one that, 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 that is a different way of bringing people together. Do it. Do it. Some people get together over meals. Some people get together um, over the power stop. Some people get together um, over common interest. It doesn't get one. Take one. Engage in that. It's life. It's life. It's not optional. We want to see a love in here that can only be explained by the powerful presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take the next step. Take the next step. Gospel experiment is all about that. We said we'd look at all the aspects of the gospel. We try it and see how it turned out. That's an experiment. Try this. It's God's desire. Not life groups, not this program, but that we engage in gospel community. Do it. Because in the end, 
The kingdom of God is a party in a wonderful room that features a long banquet table set with many chairs close together. But unfortunately, many of the king's people like to come in at uncommon times when they won't encounter anybody else. And rather than take a seat at the banquet table, they'll microwave their leftover pizza and eat it in isolation and leave quickly. But if they're quiet enough to listen in the background, they'll hear the king weeping because his people have missed the party and have missed him because they've missed each other. Let's pray.